Oh no. Oh yes, I mean, it's the American Soccer Show. We're back for another week. We have a ton. A great oh, week. A great week. It's going to be fantastic. You're going to love what we have today. So we got a lot to get to. Uh, so we're not going to waste any time. The first, first, first though, before we get to any American soccer, we have we have something else to get to. Oh Requested boy. by the number one fan of the show, Jake Reitma. I know this is the American soccer show, and I get that there's probably people that roll their eyes when I, I have to talk about Chelsea, but I, I feel I feel obligated that I have to say something because this has gone on for too long, and I'm tired. I'm I'm so tired of it. Get it out. What is it? So, what happened this time? I, if you if you missed it, Chelsea lost to Manchester City six nothing on Sunday, and oh boy, yeah, no, what a win! It was it was not pretty, and this is after beating them two nothing, not even like two months ago, and more importantly, now since then it's been a few days, so I've calmed down a bit. If I'd done this on Sunday, I'd probably. I, there probably would have had to have been an entire show dedicated to this. Just me yelling. It wouldn't. Emmett wouldn't have said a word. It would just been me. No, my mic would have been unplugged. Because yes. there's nothing. Because I wouldn't have let anybody have a word. So, anyway, now that we're a little bit calmed down, Chelsea have won their Europa League game, even barely against Malmo. I'm I'm a little more calm. But I'm. You know what I'm sick of, Emmett. I'm sick and tired of the Chelsea players doing this because this for some of these players, it is their third. Or if you want to count Goose Hiddenick, this is their fourth manager. And that's inex- that's not just inexcusable. That is downright absurd that some of these guys can have the audacity to, so- to talk. Well, the manager's really the problem here. The-, the manager. Again. Who do they want? I don't know. I mean, think about it. Okay, let's go through what they had. They had Mourinho, um, Hiddenick, Conte, and now Sarri. Many would consider that some of the, you know, even Hiddink, I guess, some of the top managers in the this world. Top shelf talent. These are not some nobodies. They didn't bring in uh, uh, Deleu and uh, some of those other guys who were, you know, you know fine people. Sure. You, I, I was about to say Rafa Benitez. This isn't Roy Hodgson yeah. or Sam Allardyce. They didn't bring in any of those retreads that you see they bring in to, like, stabilize clubs or keep them out of the relegation zone. These are not, like, nobodies. These are very highly regarded men. Even before coming to Chelsea, even sorry who is admittedly not at the level of Conte or Mourinho because of their past achievements. It's just, it's absurd to me that you, that there were these problems because there were reports that players were sick of Conte's double sessions. And then now there's reports under sorry that they're sick of like whatever he, I think he does like, like a training session on a Sunday or something. And players are like, we don't like that either. Like what, what, what do you want then? Do you want to be coddled? Do you just want the man? Oh, it's okay. William. It's okay that you haven't scored and who knows how many games it's okay. Pedro. It's okay that your first touch is completely gone. It's okay. <sighs> I'm mad. I'm very upset because I, I, blaming management's really easy uh, in life and in in sports especially. Mourinho clearly wore out the players. I could accept having to move on. He might be a little too old school for this era. I could even understand Conte for a certain extent because that dude is a very demanding man. You can see it. His tone of voice does not mince words with people. But Sarri comes in, changes everything. I mean everything. Nobody, oh, we don't like playing this defensive style. Oh, we're, we're bored. We don't know. The manager hates us. 
And so Sari comes in. Oh yes, we're gonna play beautiful football. We're gonna do, we're gonna pass the ball around. We're gonna play Sari ball. Everything's gonna be so great. And we're back where we started six months ago. Uh, so the difference being that the players aren't fed up with the defensive uh, responsibilities and the desire for just counterattacking. Now they're just fed up with trying to play through teams too much. I mean, it's obvious that it, it looks uh, flat at times. You know, teams just sit in and Chelsea doesn't know what to oh, do. Yes, my favorite, the the sideways passing that just and, and the playing out of the back when teams are pressing you. Always my favorite things about the sport. Um, which, you know, even uh, it, it seems teams are catching on to that. I mean, Bournemouth caught on to it. It seems Malmo had a couple moments where they were uh, – beating uh getting the press on Chelsea and kind of isolating that right side of the field. Um it's I think it's pretty obvious that you need time for Sarri's system uh, and you need the personnel. We've talked about this before. You have some fantastic players as Pilaqueta, uh, Ngolo Kanté, uh Rudiger, even Marcos Alonso for, you know, we'll give him some credit here or there. Uh, the problem with a lot of these guys is that it doesn't fit what Sarri wants to do. A lot of these guys, like just Conte and Ispilicueta in, in general, are just they're good tacklers, great defenders. Under Conte's system, they were absolutely phenomenal because the, you know their role was more defensive. Now I'm watching these Chelsea games. Conte's your best offensive player at times. <laughs> that 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 always blows my mind when I see him making a run forward. And I was one of those people that I was okay with this idea that Conte can play elsewhere on the field. I, I still don't really believe that if you put Conte in Jorginho's position that it would work just fine. I, I don't know that Conte's passing is good enough to get out of those presses any better than Jorginho's is. So I, I don't really think that's the issue here. And I, I do want to say that I do feel that some of this does fall on sorry, right? Part of his job is, admittedly, to motivate the players. It is part of it. But, but like, when he comes out and he says, I can't motivate these people, and people are like, well, why is he saying that? That seems like a quitter mentality to me. Did you ever think that he's already spent, like, you know, a few months here, and he's just coming out and saying, I can't do it. I, I can't do it anymore, people. I'm sorry. They, these people are just unmotivatable. And he's basically saying what Conte said, what Mourinho said. You can listen to Mourinho press conferences. It's pretty chilling, actually. Right before he was sacked, he was basically saying the same thing. Can't get through to them. I mean, listen, Sarri has a very specific way. I would argue you could say with the players he has, barring like Hazard and Higuain, it's built for Conte's and Mourinho's counterattacking style, right? Yes. Yes, it is. You got guys like Conte who are hard workers in the midfield. I don't understand why he's the second furthest person up the field half the time. It's good. I don't, I don't understand why you want him pressing the center backs. I would think you would do what you can to swap him. But if you look back to Sarri's Napoli, you had a similar situation where uh, the defensive midfielder Allen was turned into a box-and-box midfielder and became, you know, phenomenal. That midfield three, you could argue, is better suited because Allen was a bit more of a passer um, than Conte, who's, you know, he's good He's good offensively, but he's just a great ball winner. Jorginho, same, you know, on both sides. And then Marek Hamšík, I think, is... The big difference here is you got a number 10 who is light years better than Kovacic and Barkley. Agreed. In my mind, that's where the problem is. Those those guys aren't good enough. I think that's where it starts for sure. I, the wingers aren't good enough either. Like I, I've already discussed how disgusted I am watching William and Pedro half the time. 
I, I, Callum Hudson Odoi doesn't get any chances, and I mean at this point, I, I I feel like he may have just told them he's leaving, and so they're like, well, fine, but you're not leaving now, and you're and you're gonna sit on the bench. I I don't know what's going on with that, and all I know is this: people, the motivation thing. I, when you're a professional player, number one, I don't want to hear about motivation. Okay, if I went to my boss and I said, I, "You're just not motivating me," they either fire me, or they tell me to get out before they fire me. So that's number one. Number two, if you need to find motivation, how about you find motivation? Uh, I don't know the pride in playing the sport that you like or that you like to make money doing. Either one, that's fine. I understand that there are players out there that really play for the money more so than the passion of the sport. There's nothing wrong with that. But when yeah, there is, there kind is of it, is. I don't actually think that there is, as long as you're not. If that, if that doesn't motivate you, if you're not motivated by the sport at all, you're only motivated by a paycheck. That's one thing. But if you're only playing for a paycheck and you're not motivated, I think that's well, a completely no, different. Okay, issue. if you, I'm saying no one goes out there and wants your to motivation lose. should be even if you like, even if you don't care for the sport all that much, you're just really good at it and you make money. Your motivation should be oh, if I stop playing well, they'll stop paying me, right? That's that seems like pretty decent motivation to me. Or hey, we just lost six nothing in front of the entire world. Everyone's laughing at us. No, that doesn't motivate you. Well, I don't know what will. I I don't know what will. If that doesn't motivate you to do better. I I, th- I think you're beyond reproach, and I think you need to be replaced. That goes for everyone on the team. That goes for any sport, any job. Um, I think we got you pretty wound up yeah. here, as I said I was going to do before we started. Uh, so, so we're going to move on now because <laughs> I, I've said all that I need to – at least I think, unless you want to add anything, I, I think I've got it all. No, I think we talk about Chelsea all the time, uh, you know, off the air, so – I understand where you're coming from, and I think every person who's watching the Premier League at this point has some opinion on why they're not doing well and trying to figure things out. And it's it's a really interesting topic, at least. You have to give it that. It is certainly intriguing, and I'm sure it'll only get better as the weeks and months go by, assuming Sorry even gets to stay the manager past next week. So we'll see how that goes. We'll move on to what everyone actually came here to listen to and that's the uh, MLS portion of the programming we start with the transactions or at least some of the rumor with this first one's a rumor the reports out of Columbus say that they've signed 22 year old Zimbabwe midfielder member of Orlando Pirates in South Africa spent most of the season as a center back for the Pirates I imagine he'll be switching back to the midfield seeing as they're pretty set at center back but uh, I this is a this is your this is your uh, area of expertise Right up my alley. So I, I'm hearing he's a midfielder who has gotten very limited game time uh, in the last two years, like under 10 games with Pirates, and he's gotten frustrated. Um, but before that, he played at Cape Town City, where apparently he was pretty good. Um, in South Africa, Pirates and Kaiser Chiefs are kind of like um, the team that everyone goes to once they get good. It's, it's almost like they just buy everyone. It's like Bayern Munich, I'd imagine, if best way to describe it. Those two teams just buy up all the players, and they're still not, you know, the best teams in the country. Would you country, say they pirate the other that. team's players? Uh, I would say plunder, but okay, okay close. Okay. <laughs> Something like that. So um, a couple interesting uh, moves for Orlando. I'm not sure how I feel about this one because I don't think PSL, the, the soccer league down there, is any better than MLS. So this seems like a backwards move to me. We'll see. Uh, Caleb Porter, I think you, well, certainly he would value the positional uh, depth at both the midfield and the center back position. Yeah, and I mean, historically, the PSL has produced some good players, so 
Uh, it's a shame what's happened to it. And, uh, you know, if he does work out, it could be a good pipeline between leagues. Yes. All right, so we got the Jason Vargas and Marco Fabian news on last week's show. But we did just miss the Vancouver signing of their designated player, Joaquin Ardais, 20-year-old from Uruguay, striker, highly touted prospect for the national team in the past. He was on loan at Frozenone in Serie A. Yeah, you like that pronunciation, huh? Beautiful. Uh, I'm doing well. He made one appearance there, by the way, so he was really killing it there. Uh, he was brought back to FC Chiasso in Switzerland, though it, it was the second tier in Switzerland that he was uh, there. And then he's now on a year-long loan, an option to buy at the end of it for Vancouver, so I imagine they'll exercise it if he does anything worth useful. And it could be the striker they need. We talked about their need for a striker. He's got some hype. Yeah, that's another DP for them. Another young one. Uh, they got uh, Inbeom from uh, Korea, second division. Now they got um, Ardais from the second division in Switzerland. Uh, at least this guy seemed like he was being loaned out to a higher level. Um, just hearing about people's thoughts on this, there's a lot of people on the internet who seem to think Vancouver is like a team to watch this year. Yes, I've seen Still that. not completely convinced given some of the downgrades they've had. Uh, you're losing Kendall Watson, Alfonso Davies, and um, Kai Kamara, the three best players, I would say. Uh, they still have some work to do, but this is a good move in the right direction. Uh, in other news, Kikuta Mane, formerly of uh, Vancouver, uh, currently on the crew to Cincinnati, been rumored. Uh, I forgot about this guy. He was very highly regarded at Vancouver uh, as a young prospect. Everyone kind of expected him to be the next star and i haven't heard of him all year so hopefully he can get something going yeah this makes sense because he is a wide goal scoring threat and cincinnati heaven knows needs that so i I think it's a perfect fit in terms it's i would say it i was gonna say mls proven commodity but after having thought about it some more and having looked back I, i guess really not he had like one season and that's it. So not exactly MLS proven just yet. But I think it makes sense just for that reason. They have such a lack of out-wide attacking players that I think that it makes sense to take a flyer on someone like this. Absolutely. Someone with a lot of talent. I mean, you watch him at Vancouver and two years ago at the crew. Uh, he was truly electric, just running at players, uh, you know, opened up space off the dribble. Uh, his finishing was, you know, suspect at times, but, you know, he got into enough good opportuni- good spaces to get opportunities. Um, since he really only has, what, it was like two or three wingers. They have Ledesma and Lamar, so seriously needed depth at least for Cincinnati. Agreed. So we move on. We have more previews to do today, and they also are the five Champions League teams that will be representing MLS, which, if you missed it, Champions League's back next week and not that boring one in Europe that's you know eh. they have their own little anthem and it's you know it plays before games and it's really cool but did you know it's kind of cute did you know that CONCACAF has their own anthem did I it's fantastic and I think that I, I, I'm going to play a sample here for the for the listeners <laughs> We have a, that beautiful rendition of the CONCACAF anthem, but I, I think I think it needs lyrics. It's an instrumental. I mean, they have it in the European Champions League. Why not the CONCACAF Champions League? <laughs> I tried to... Uh, unfortunately, the beat of the song does not lend itself to lyrics. If you've 
ever heard it. It's it's really kind of a generic like tune. Like it's it's actually more official sounding than I would have thought. But I actually also would have expected something a little more dramatic, I guess, from Concacaf. This is kind of like just this oh lighthearted little parade music. I don't know. I expected more. Yeah, the uh, the European one, they have li- lyrics. You can't understand them, really, because they're kind of sung in a high soprano. But, I mean, do you really need them? I don't think you need the lyrics. They're kind of, it's kind of... No. I don't know. I, I know you want. I, I, try, I tried to uh, come up with some, like I said, and it doesn't match the song at all, but like... You know, Can we hear the I, I'm not going to sing them. However, I, I was like, oh, they're a good team. Because ch- if you read the Champions League lyrics, they're like, oh, these are the best teams. And so like, oh, they're good teams. They aren't the best teams. Sometimes best, sometimes not. The underachievers, the overachievers, okay teams, the CONCACAF champions. I think it's. I think it lends itself very well. It, it seems like you could just overlap that on the UEFA anthem, and it would be just as good. Perhaps that's what we should do. Maybe the, we should just take their anthem, Steal it. Just rip, rip it. the lyrics out, and place our own lyrics on top. Of, oh, my goodness. All right. Uh, <laughs> Get into the previews. Yes. First team up, Tor- Toronto FC. Yeah. This team was very hard to figure out last year. They're entering Greg Vanny's fifth full season in charge. It's a bit of a transition for them, kind of unexpectedly, because Jovinko left for Al-Halal in Saudi Arabia. A lot of he said, he sh- she said here, because Toronto seemed to be indicated that he wanted more money. Jovinko saying he would have stayed and taken less. Now, I believe he took like $10 million at that team, right? And he was making something like six here in the U.S.? Correct. Or I'm, I'm in Canada, I should say. But uh, So, you know, both could be right. He could have said, give me $8 million and I'll stay. Yeah, the, the punctuation here is important. If he meant less than he had previously gotten or less than he got at El Halal. Uh, the point is, the league essentially lost. Uh, you know, we lost track of this last year, but probably the best player in MLS and in MLS history. He was something special for them. Uh, and the reason why they made it to back-to-back finals uh, but not only that, they lost Victor Vasquez. Yes, yes, they did. Uh, he also moved uh, to, well, not the same team, but Al Arabi. He made that move. And I, I want to go back to something you said briefly, just because I think it's an interesting talking point. Giovinco, the, perhaps really the, the greatest MLS player of all time. Now, nah, I don't know if I'm really to go that far. Robbie Keane was pretty good. Yeah, but Robbie Keane. That's a one a lot more. Uh, true. Jovinko was only here for what three years? Oh, it was more than that. Four years. Jovinko's been around. A- I'll get our producer on that, but I, I don't. My money might still be on Robbie Keane. Uh, but Jovinko changed the landscape of MLS. Before it was guys like Robbie Keane who came over when they were thirty-two. If they could extend their career, great. If not, they got a paycheck. Which, by the way, is how old Jovinko is now, thirty-two. So, but he came. So he actually might have been here for a long time. Cause I remember him coming. He might have been like twenty-six. Twenty-fifteen. Is what my producer is telling me. So that's, you know, the, so he's at least had 2015, 24 years, four full seasons. Yes. That's, well, no, that's three full seasons because we didn't play 2019. But he played 2015, 16, 17, ah, 18. Yeah, math. Ugh. This is why I'm here. There's literally no other reason. Yeah, that's, that's exactly why um, we casted you for this role. Because <laughs> I have a math background. So four years for Giovinco. Um, potentially, I mean, just the stuff he did. I, not only that, but he, he changed MLS to not just a, a retirement league, as some like to call it, but, you know, he came in his prime of his career. You know, four years ago, he was 28, 27. So it's, 
you look at it now, we're getting guys like Carlos Vela, Diego Rossi, Miguel Almiron, Joseph Martinez. Really important that he paved the way. But let's get back to Toronto. Yeah, here. so they they lose their two biggest playmakers. Potentially, we'll argue it later. One of the best in the league, going to be a big impact. Yes, it's going to be a huge impact, and I'm sure the Montreal's loving that. But the Lawrence Simon addition is probably the biggest addition they made in the offseason. Now, this is kind of weird because Lawrence Simon leaves LAFC for France. You know, and we're all thinking, yeah, it makes sense. You know, he's he's going to go to Europe while he still can and try to, try to get a good run in over there. That lasted. I don't even think he lasted six months, did he? Not really. He ended. He uh, left later in the summer, um, and apparently he loved it in Montreal. Uh, he has a daughter who has some special um, needs to be taken care of, and he had that available in Montreal, and he went to LAFC. He was upset because he lost that. Right. But then he goes back to Toronto? That- Interesting choice. Uh, I don't know what to make of that. That is weird. I, so I'm sure this will endear him to Impact fans uh, playing for Toronto, and I don't I don't think LAFC fans will be too happy with him either. They also added Terrence Boyd, who you might remember as uh, the guy whose destiny is now officially being fulfilled, as his destiny was to back up Josie Altador in the 2014 World Cup. We're a little bit of ways away from that, but hey, you know, so, you know, run from it, dread it. Destiny always arrives. It always comes for us, and I honestly don't know what to expect from him. Uh, at one point, he was kind of at Teal Bunbury, CJ Sapong levels when they kind of broke into the national team as being the future forwards of the squad. Neither of them really ended up doing much. Sapong had a good year two years ago. Bunbury put up double-digit goals last year. If Boyd does the same thing, he'll be fine for them. But replacing Giovinco, I don't. Not even close. Yeah, that's gonna be tough. I, I don't. I don't know. He, he definitely will not be filling that role. I think he really is just kind of, and perhaps a future plan for Josie Altador, who's made it sound as if he might be on his way out the door sooner rather than later. Their attempts to replace Jovinko seem to be leading them down the path of Alejandro Pozuelo, who plays for Genk, 27-year-old Spaniard, very highly regarded playmaker, plays as a 10, second striker, wide, all that good stuff. But, you know, not to get too far down the rabbit hole, there's been talks of this guy being brought in, Toronto meeting his release clause, and Genk saying, well, the player agreed in January that he would stay until the summer. So there might be a little legal battle to be done there if they want to get him here sooner. Uh, I think they might have to wait, though, and I think that might be the best course of action. Well, not for them, but for maybe for the player and his relationship with that other club, Genk. And for MLS's relationship with Genk and the Belgian League. Um, yeah, it just seems like it's going to get a little messy. True, Toronto paid the release clause. They should get him. Gank's fighting for first place in the Belgian league, so you can you can assume why they would want their you know star player. Um, but and I would say they're going to need this because last year, this was around the time when they really fell apart. Was the Concacaf Champions League, which they'll be taking on next year. Uh, so we're worried about some of the depth and what they're going to create. Um, you know, I tried looking through this lineup. I would think they're going to need all the help they can get early on when they have, they're have. they going to have a lot of games in a small period of time. Yeah, they're definitely going to need some uh, better management of players than they did last season. We remember the injury crisis they went through, having to go through the Champions League uh, run that they did on, and then, of course, the, the MLS games that they were still playing in. So that kind of, in the end, really hurt them more than anything because by the time they not only didn't walk out with the Champions League trophy, but then they had an injury crisis. Michael Bradley was playing center back, and that was really one of the biggest problems that they had because, you know, their center back depth was decent, but it got just absolutely decimated. So some of that's luck. You wouldn't expect that to happen to them again. But it doesn't help. But some of it. Oh, I was just going to yeah. say, some, it doesn't help that Gregory Vanderweel. 
uh, has apparently just had a bust up with Greg Vanny and has made it very clear he doesn't want to be there anymore. So they've basically brought in Nick DeLeon as sort of his replacement. That is not an ideal swap, I would say, to say the least. No, but Vanderveel never really seemed to be the impact that Toronto was hoping he would be. I mean, this is a guy who played on the Dutch national team and with PSG, uh, and he was going to fill out center back. So I would say good riddance to bad influences. The, the back line seems actually one of the stronger parts to me when I look at it. Uh, they still have Auro Jr. at right back. Uh, I'm kind of assuming they're going to play five at the back unless they have injury problems. Yeah, I would think so. Uh, they have Laurent Simon, who I think is probably better in a five-back system where he can kind of be that wild card in the back. Wild card. Um, Eric Zavaleta is just 26. Uh, and Chris Mavinga, who was kind of a massive piece for them in their title run. And then, of course, Justin Morrow at left back. Drew Moore, 35, maybe his last season. Lost Eric Hagland. Uh, I don't think that's going to be... I mean, they replaced him with Simon, so that's a move up. But if center back was an issue last year... They didn't really do anything to help. Yeah, them. it's kind of uh, Simon. I think helps, but I I don't think that it's this massive landscape move for them. I, I the team really hasn't changed all that much. I know Jovinko is a massive, massive loss, and that's but to me that that's almost one of those losses that you can't reasonably expect to plug up right away, especially with how sudden the move kind of was. So I do think Toronto will struggle early on. It, when a player of that magnitude, somebody who, yeah, let's face it, come on, the game plan some games when it comes to, when you need a goal is get the ball, get that ball to the, man, to the man and get out of the way. Get the ball to the Italian. Get the ball to the Italian. Yes. Thank you. That's what I wanted to hear. <laughs> so, okay, well, their defense isn't terrible. Uh, I actually think it's a pretty good back line. Their midfield, Bradley's getting older. They still have Bradley, Delgado, and Osorio. I think Osorio had a kind of breakout year two years ago. He was a good midfielder. You and I have, you know, we agree on Delgado. He's not. Yeah, he's, he's not US. special, but he's okay. He's a good MLS player. Um, add Pozuelo in there, and you got me interested. And then up top, you have Boyd and Altador. I mean, listen, this is a fine team, but this is nowhere near anymore what I think the you know, t- you know, record-breaking team that it was just two years ago. Things have changed too quickly. I I, I agree with that. I, I think they'll I think they'll be around, especially if they can add Pozuelo. Even if it's midseason, I think that could be a big boost for them. But uh, that's a lot of ifs, and we're going to have to wait and see sort of where where they go from here with, again, like you said, and, and who knows, right? The Javinko thing, sometimes you get rid of a player like that, it actually builds everyone else up because, you know, the load kind of gets spread across evenly and players respond better to it than you would expect. Yeah, so we'll see. They have uh, next Tuesday, they go to Independiente. In good old in Panama. Panama. So, independent. I've done research for each of the CONCACAF Champions League teams, by the way, that they'll be facing. Very, very light research. But they've played just three matches this season so far, two wins and a draw. They got one more coming up this weekend before they face Toronto. They finished ninth last season in their domestic league. So, I wouldn't imagine this is like Taro all over again, but this isn't exactly the most uh, well-put-together Toronto team. I, I wouldn't... I, I'm, a little, I'm a little on edge about it, so we'll see. I tried, based on the Panamanian website, to figure out how this team plays. Oh, it's not like a 5-4-1, a 4-5-1 so far this season. Also, the Panamanian League site is awful. has no useful information whatsoever. They play in the stadium Estadio Agustin Sanchez, a whopping capacity of 3,000. Emmett, I have a proposal. Okay, let's hear it. The U.S. men's national team should hold a January camp game. I think they'd probably sell it out. 
Now we're thinking. See, now we're getting reasonable. They should have just played Panama in Panama. I think it would have sold out. That's where the money is. (laughs) Uh, So we're expecting Toronto to win this game. I I mean, they shouldn't have problems with depth because they don't have any games surrounding this, really. Um, But you have to go into Panama, so that's a tough environment. You lose your two playmakers. They're going to have to wonder where the assists come from. You still would think this should be pretty comfortable from Toronto, but not a guarantee. Never a guarantee in the greatest competition of champions. Yes, agreed with that. We move on to the New York Red Bulls, where there are never any guarantees for anybody. Uh, Chris Armas starting his first full season in charge of the Red Bulls after he took over midseason last year. It's been quite the offseason for them. They lost Tyler Adams to Red Bull Leipzig, and then... There was the whole Kaku Gamera saga where he nearly left for Club America, and I hope he's getting some new representation after what that guy said. But anyway, the biggest signing for them, Mateus Jorgensen, obviously. Let's clear something up here, obviously. This is not Mateus Jorgensen of Huddersfield defense, the 30-year-old Danish defender, (laughs) otherwise known as Zanka. No, this is 18-year-old Mateus Jorgensen, Danish striker. Yes. Uh, perhaps a sly attempt at bringing in the heir apparent to Bradley Wright Phillips. So that's what I was wondering. Do, do we think that this is uh, depth for Bradley Wright Phillips as he ages? He's 34. Do we think this is uh, depth, a chance for him to get some recovery? He's not going to be able to play as much as he once did. Or is this, you know, a, a chance for the new starting striker? I think. It, Where does this lie? I think it's both. I think. It, I think in the short term it is a move to cover some depth. I, I think that he'll have plenty of opportunities because Bradley Wright Phillips can't play in as many games as he was playing last season, and he can't shoulder the load like he did last season. So I think bringing in a young striker, especially in this part of the season where they're going to be playing in the Champions League, we expect them to make a decent run again like they did last time, made it to the semifinals. I, I would expect them to have games to be able to play this guy in. And I, I think it's a great move for him because he, he'll be motivated to take that spot And look, maybe he knows deep down that he's probably not going to unseat Bradley Red Phillips right away. But for the Red Bulls, it's a perfect chance to get this guy integrated now so that if at the end of the season Bradley Red Phillips decides to call it a career, if the Red Bulls decide that they just can't afford to pay him what they're paying him anymore, if he falls off, whatever the case may be, I think it's it's a case of both. And in the short-term depth, I think in the long-term, it might be a chance, an opportunity for him to get the first crack at the new striker position after Bradley Red Phillips. Right, and so this was a, a bit of an off-season. Despite losing Adams, it was a chance to add depth. So Red Bulls did do that a little bit last year. Uh, they brought in uh, Mark Tchaikovsky. Uh, this is last season. They brought in uh, Florian Velo, uh, Bezencourt, uh, But pretty much all of those guys got pretty long injuries throughout the season, and their team by the end was a set of starters and, like, two subs. Uh, so we also add in some some depth here which we're not assuming is going to be uh, starter quality uh, but you know you got Marcus Epps from the Union you got Amro Tarek replacing Aurelian Collin uh, from Orlando uh, it could be useful in this run yeah I agree I think Florian Below if he returns to form could be like almost like a new signing just because he tore his ACL midseason last year, I think he'll help the attack. My biggest concern, I not only just their attack, we talked about it in their kind of obituary, that like the, the goal scoring has got to be picked up by somebody else. Because if Bradley Wright Phillips regresses, guys like Daniel Royer and Kaku need to be able to score more than they did. And I, look, I like Kaku, and I, I, he doesn't score a ton of goals, but he, I think he facilitates enough. Royer, like he was the second leading goal scorer, and that's just not going to get it done. Yeah, uh... 
And on the other side, it was Alex Moyle, who I didn't honestly think was, I think he was the weak link in the team. I didn't think he was up to it. Now you got uh, you got Epps uh, to kind of push him. You still have Derek Etienne, who no one really has figured out where he should be. Andreas Ivan, the striker. Ivan the terrible. Um, pretty much was playing on the right side, uh, trying to create. They didn't really have anything pushing uh, Moyle. And, you know, he was good enough to out to be better than Ivan and Etienne. Now you have, you know, Bezencourt, you have Velo, guys, you have Tchaikovsky, guys who can kind of play as a right-sided attacking mid uh, and push that. Uh, meanwhile, they also, you know, we're assuming they have a replacement for uh, Adams in Caceres. Yeah, Caceres, 19-year-old. He might get a crack at being the new midfield partner there. They have other players, Mark Rizkowski, 28, Sean Davis, 26. We saw a lot of Sean Davis last season. So you think he'll probably be a featured part of that midfield, at least to start. Uh, Gene, and another one, Gene Christoph Kofi, 21. Another one they seem to have their eye on there. I wouldn't be surprised if maybe he got a crack in there too. Yeah, I'm thinking we're going to see uh, some Red Bull 2 player, academy guy, come in and make a name for himself this year. They just have too many of them, too much talent. Ben Mines started last season with a goal and then didn't really play. I think we're going to see something like that happen where – uh, Caceres, who came up, Kofi, Mines, one of those guys is going to come up big and, and be it. a really important, almost like a new transfer, because um, they, they do kind of have that next man up mentality. I'd be excited to see who it is. Yeah, and this is a team that time and time again, you know, it, it comes up to this idea that, ah, oh, well, well, we'll see if they if this is the, the one that finally puts them down and this is the talent they're unable to replace and they go into a downward spiral. They've proven time and time again they can replace talent like it's seemingly nothing. So uh, at this point, I have more faith in them to do it than not. But it, it is always they a transition. The best. They kept the best back line in the league. Yes. They still have Lawrence, uh, Long, um, Parker, and Murillo with uh, that man Robles behind them in goal, who I think is one of the best goalkeepers in the league pretty consistently. Still have Sean Davis, who kind of sat in front. The question is if losing Adams is going to hurt them there. Uh, I think they're a dynamic enough team to overcome it. Yeah. So their opponent in the Champions League next Wednesday, uh, Atletico Pantoja from the Dominican Republic. That team doesn't start their domestic season until April. Apparently, the Dominican Republic does a weird season with 12 teams, then a mini league with six teams, then the top four play in the semifinals before, you know, going on to a final. Pantoja finished third, then fourth, then were eliminated in the semifinals. But they did win the uh, CONCACAF Caribbean Club Championship, which is how they're here. I, I think the Dominican League has a better website than the Panamanian League, if only because it's done by, and I don't know if you know what this is, Blogspot? Have you ever heard of that? Uh-huh. It's basically, like if, and if you haven't, if you're, if you're a youngin, you might remember, you might know WordPress. It's basically like a, a very older version of WordPress. And it is just as magical as you would expect. The layout is awful. It, it screams mid-2000s, to say the least. Could we even go as early and say early 2000s? Yeah, you know what? That's that's even fair. That's You're right. We're going to go for it. We're selling early 2000s. Compared to last one, this one should not be difficult at all for the Red Bulls. They should put a second team and win this yeah. one. Uh, the stadium, by the way, seats 27,000. So it's going to feel pretty desolate in there. Unless uh, the Red Bulls are giving out free vacations to the Dominican Republic. And apparently they should look out for Armando Maida, who led their league in goals with six. Look out for that guy. He can put in a goal any game. <laughs> That's what their website says. 
I will be interested to see how they fill a stadium in a baseball-specific country. MLS has that problem, but Dominican Republic, obviously, significantly smaller. 27 they, seems... They don't fill it. It's a track and field venue. It's one of those. Exactly. So it's, they're not filling it. Oh. Two favorable matchups so far Yay. for MLS. Houston, uh, when when they won the Open Cup, I was so disappointed. Not only that Philadelphia wouldn't get to play in the... Wouldn't get to play in the Champions League, but that we'd be sending Houston to the Champions League. But uh, anyway, third season for Wilmer Cabrera. Uh, their first season, he went to the Western Conference Finals. Then in the second one, they missed the playoffs entirely. So this is uh, pretty much third time's a charm, maybe? I don't think no. so. okay. This is still one of the best attacks in the league, though. MLS specifically. Uh, but very streaky. Uh, so we do have... Albert Ellis, great first half of the season, absolutely deadly, and then pretty much useless at the end. Uh, on the left side, um, they picked up some of the slack. I actually wrote down the wrong name oh, here. Oh, <laughs> It's okay. Uh, I, I, I wrote uh, Kyoto um, on the left side, picked up some of the slack, but he seemed pretty one-dimensional at times. Teams figured them out. But you, then, even if you figure that out, you still have Mara Minotes who can pick up a goal. You still have Tomas Martinez pick out a pass yeah I, I think that front four it's probably well it definitely is the most underrated in the league if for no other reason than I, I do think that on their day they could take anybody down yeah and early in the season they were really good so we'll see if they pull that back again the real issue is the six behind them yeah that that we, we talked about it in their obituary that I, I wanted to see them add a little bit more to their midfield to protect their back line and to also kind of supplement their front attacking four that is I think pretty good at this point, uh, they they did add Mateus Vera, who was a regular at CD O'Higgins in Chile. I would think he'll help shield the back line again. I you know for, forget me knowing anything about this guy, but that's the position he played. He played in the defensive midfield behind the you know the front line and attacking players and in front of the back line. So I, I do think that they've at least tried to address that area, which is good. I appreciate them. Can doing we just that. look at one thing here and though? To me. If you heard the team name. C.D. O'Higgins. I probably would assume it's the complete opposite side of the world in Ireland. Yeah, I was thinking that too. C.D. by the way stands for Club Deportivo, so that's I didn't, I didn't skip over yeah. that part. It's the O'Higgins. Yeah, I agree with you. That's, that was my first thought. Like, where did some of these come from? Where is that? There's a, well, there's like a uh, Liverpool in South America too. Like, they have some fun Arsenal. Names. Was it like uh, FC the strongest? Yeah, not to mention Millonarios. Uh, you got. There's the old boys. Ah, oh, it's a great one. Anyway, the team Messi will um, play for outside of Barcelona. Apparently, we love Newell's old boys. They also added um, Marlon Harrison. I was never a big fan of the guy. He's been kind of like a winger, wing back. Uh, never really seemed like he could play with his head up. Tommy McNamara of New York City fame, uh, who kind of fell off there. Chris Duvall, fullback, uh, right-sided fullback. He's, uh, good depth, at least. I think he'll actually be a starter there. Beasley's 36. Figaro is 35. Uh, might be an issue when it comes to age, but they, you know, they have a at at best they're an average back line. Yeah, this is not. There's not this. A lot of this team is a lot of average, and that's not necessarily a bad thing because I mean you see how many dreadful back lines there are in the league. So to have an average one is it could be worse. 
And in this competition, you figure they're probably not going to be faced with an attacking team. Now, we'll get to their opponent in a minute. But, you know, we figure they're not going to be facing rounds and rounds of attacks. So that's the good news for them. And honestly, as long as Houston can kind of stay on the front foot, they do have a tendency to be able to win games. It's just that when they get caught in the, t- like, get caught on counters or get caught, like, the other team starts dominating possession, that's when they start to fall apart because it exposes their weaknesses much more. Yeah, uh, I think Alejandro Fuenmayor, 22-year-old center back, is kind of their bright spot back there. Uh, you know, he's susceptible at times, but uh, I think against their opponent here, they'll have a, a good chance. They play this uh, next Wednesday, 10 p.m. Eastern time. At Guastatoya in Guatemala, coming off the winning the Guatemalan League. They won both the regular season title and the f- four-team playoff held at the end of the season, so good for them. Uh, shocking start to the season. They have one win in seven matches. They still have one more to go before they play Houston. Uh, my favorite part of the Guatemalan League website is that there is an advanced statistics page, and I'm not making this up. They're, they literally have an, a page called Advanced Statistics in Spanish, and it's blank. There's nothing there. Who goes to Advanced Statistics? It's a trap. I, I don't know if that's like their way of saying, like, oh, <laughs> we'll get those soccer losers that want their no- – I don't know what that's about. I just thought it was hilarious that they... Uh, these websites are something else. I mean, listen, to the Guatemalan League, it's not... shouldn't be that good, but with Houston, you never really know what you're going to get. Better than having Colorado in this oh, competition. It can't but... be any worse than Colorado. That's what I was thinking. Like, at least they're better than, Gu- than Colorado. But at the same time, remember, FC Dallas was not a bad team. And they just... They got lit right. up by Tauro, so... It's, and that's what we're worried about, I guess, when it comes to Toronto and Houston is they're not facing – like the Red Bulls, I think we have some confidence in doing this. Toronto and Houston were worrying. They're going into foreign places um, that might make them uncomfortable, and they might just fall apart. It might just happen. It could, it, so it should. It could happen, but I do – I like their core of players for one reason. Many of them are Central American, and they are not – I don't think they're going to be intimidated. Right. They got uh, some Hondurans – uh, in there, so uh, Ellis and Kyoto and Boniet Garcia, so they really they shouldn't be. Uh, they, they they should be able to pull it out, but again, this is the Concacaf Champions League. Anything can happen. We shouldn't take it for granted, but we probably should be able yeah, to. Yeah, well, that was one thing I wanted to point out was like I, I wish we were at the point where I could just say Houston's gonna win this and have no, but it's Houston and and these MLS teams they never cease to amaze me so we'll see 5300 people fit in their Estadio David Cordon Ichos another US men's national team menu perhaps maybe a little too big that might be to scale down uh, this team was also founded in 2010 which I thought was just hilarious <laughs> it only took them you know who else was founded then 2010 Philadelphia Union oh wow there you go so this could have been a per- this could have been you Philly this could have been it could have been the perfect matchup speaking of the but perfect moving on. matchup Quite indeed, Sporting Kansas City. They have a uh, good matchup. Is that what you're going to say? Uh, well, yeah, their mat, yeah, their matchup is perfect. I'd say. But before we get to that, we're going to look at the team. They lose two phenomenal strikers. What are they going to do? Oh boy. Well, anyway, <laughs> first of all, I-, I almost missed that. You almost got away with that. Kyrie Shelton. I almost got. Kyrie it. Shelton is not a fantastic striker. How dare you? That's number one. No, I was. Of course, I was hyperbolizing. But they did lose their only two strikers. Really true. Uh, in Kyrie Shelton and Diego Rubio. Uh, and it doesn't really seem like they have a, a replacement. Yeah, uh, Christian Nemeth is here, 
And first of all, he wins the prize for most creative spelling of Christian in existence. But he had one goal in 10 appearances last season. He They also brought in Eric Hurtado. 15 matches, three goals for Vancouver. Not going to work. Not even like top five in Vancouver, which is, as we consider, a fairly average attack outside of Alfonso Davies. Um, they do have a good midfield. Probably the best in the league, dare I say? Dare you say? If you consider them playing a five-man midfield <laughs> with their two wide players instead of a 4-3-3, uh, I would say fairly easily. On both wings, they have uh, Johnny Russell on the right. was phenomenal last year. Uh, on the left, Daniel Shallowy. And I honestly thought Gerso Fernandez was absolutely fantastic in the playoffs. Yeah, his super sub roles in the playoffs were just phenomenal. So quick. Um, maybe a guy who could play like a false nine. We'll see. Um, and then between them, it gets even better. Ilya uh, Sanchez holding it down in the midfield. One of the best deep defensive mids in the league. Kind of gets overlooked. Roger Espinosa, been in the league for like eight years. 32-year-old. Still great uh, player for them. And um, Felipe Gutierrez, who had some injury problems last year. But was like their goal scorers, him and Russell. We're bagging the goals when Kyrie Shelton couldn't do it. Yeah, this this could be interesting. I, I do worry a little bit about the attack. They do have so many good creative players, and that's not even mentioned. Did we mention Kellen Rowe is here now? There's another addition, another midfielder yeah. to one of the best in the league. So we'll see what they do. Peter Ramis, he's been here. This is his 10th season, by the way. He's the longest tenured manager in MLS, and I'm pretty sure it's not even close. And there's a reason for that. So this man, if, any, if, he could, if anybody could make me believe that he's going to make it work, it's probably him. I imagine somebody will have to play striker that's not like – you mentioned like Gerso possibly playing as, an, as like a false nine. Somebody will move to striker. I can't imagine he's going to run out there with Nemeth or Hurtado. Or Hurtado. It's just it's so shocking, like the idea of those two leading the line for a team that aspires – that was number one in the West and aspires, I imagine, to compete for the Supporters' Shield this season. So I can't see that. Maybe a midseason move coming, but – yeah, this this team's way too good to be having those players lead the line. Then again, it was too well, good Kyrie to have Shelton. Kyrie leading the line, and he was doing it. So he's a, a he was a winger for New York City before he came. So completely believable that we'll see someone kind of get uh, put over there. They also added Costa Rican Rodney Wallace from <sighs> uh, New York City FC, a depth signing because uh, outside of those three guys, Russell, Gerso, and Shallowy, we're not too sure. Um, you know, they do have Gianluca Obusio, which brings me to their youth. Another team that we could see the youth. A, a young star come up through the, through the ranks. The likes of Jalen Lindsay and Busio are very highly rated, both teenagers. Yes, they are. And I actually, there is another striker on the, well, I don't know if I want to say he's on the roster, but he is like on the radar for them. There is a kid named Freeman who plays striker. That is that his first name? No, kid name. No, no, no. I couldn't remember his first. I don't have his first name in front no, of me. No, I know. I'm, I'm giving you a hard time, <laughs> oh, but yeah. I'm sorry. They have some really good youth. Tyler players. Freeman, who is who signed at 15 in October. So it might be a little bit of a stretch, but he's. It, they have some guys who I wouldn't be surprised to make a big step up, and that's amongst some stars in that lineup. We'll see. I, like I said, they did it with Kyrie Sheldon, so maybe anything is possible. Uh, the only the only thing that I would say that worries me perhaps more than that is that they did lose Ike Opara in the defense. And that man started every game for them last season. He's a rock in that center defensive position. 
and uh, players like him aren't easily replaceable. No, uh, but they did try. They did. Andrew Fantas likely steps up in his place. Vermees' team. Good resume. Yeah. Vermees' team's usually pretty good defensively. So, outside of that shocking start to last season, I remember the world was on fire there for a few weeks to start the season. We couldn't believe how bad they were <laughs> defensively. Uh, Fantas, another, another Spanish player, probably uh, get, in, get along well with Ilya. Uh, and, and for me, I still think left back might be an issue. Jimmy Madronda was a winger who kind of filled in there. Seth Sinovic at the end of last year kind of became a good uh, addition. Zussi's 32 now, so uh, maybe kind of hitting his peak uh, before he starts to slow down. So not really an issue yet. Opara might be. We'll see it left back, but I think Vermees is too good for those issues to actually hurt the team. I think we're going to see some quite good and clever ways to overcome them. Yeah, this is definitely the man in, that I would want in charge if I had a squad that I was a little bit worried about because uh, he can he makes miracles happen. So, and that's how to say we're even that worried. They have what maybe they they filled an Opara spot. Yeah, they did. I just I don't know when you get rid of a player who plays that much at that well at that level. I do worry that even when your replacement is close to that level, that sometimes the intangibles don't come right away. And right. At that it, position, it'll take some adjusting. They do have the best, well, one of the best goalkeepers in the in the uh, in the league, Tim Melia. So, right, can't forget him. That that helps. So this is still this is still an incredibly strong team. Don't let us, you know, we always worry about the issues with every team. Don't let us sell you short. This is still probably one of our favorite teams in the league. And like you mentioned, we'll be fighting for supporter shield at some point. Yes. And they'll also be fighting in the Champions League against Toluca on Thursday, that 8 p.m. game that day. Uh, this is by far the best. Well, I, there's only there's one there's one other one, but it, it doesn't involve an MLS team, so we're just gonna ignore it. Uh, this is probably the best matchup of the round. Toluca were seventh in Mexico last season, got eliminated in the quarterfinals of their playoff. Uh, they're in kind of a rough patch. They won their first two games. They haven't won in their last four. They just had one draw. They have one more game coming up this weekend. And now I actually do know something about them. I, I don't. I didn't have to like scour the internet for something funny to make fun of them for. Because I actually can watch them play on television. Uh, Ruben Zambuesa and Alexis Vega last season were two very good players for this team. And they're both gone. So that like those two are very good attacking players. And with them gone, they haven't really found anybody to pick up the load just yet. Uh, even saying that, though, remember that that team I just mentioned ha- are like seven matches in to their season. It An average League MX side is still pretty good. And when they're seven games into their season and Sporting Kansas City is going into their first game, basically, it's that it's a tough ask. And that's why I always worry about this competition for that reason is like going up against that team is going to be very, very difficult for Kansas City, is, despite how the talent gap, I don't think is really all that much. I don't think it really all that existent here. Yeah, and that's the thing with a couple of the other teams that might give them a bit of an edge is they've played a couple games. We still think MLS teams should go into Guatemala and go into Panama and go into the Dominican Republic and be successful. This one, it could be a bit of rust uh, needing to be shaken off before Sporting Kansas City uh, gets their top level. Yeah. So anyway, not much else to say. The stadium seats 35,000. I'm sure it's going to be packed, and I'm sure it's going to be very hostile. So I wish them the best of luck going to Mexico. I'm sure it'll be a good game, and like I said, I'm very excited to see how this one plays out because this is probably the best matchup. 
Should be a good one. Speaking of the best, save the best for last, Atlanta. The champions. Our lords and saviors. The team that invented soccer after Se- after Seattle invented soccer. Atlanta reinvented soccer. This is the new MLS. This is Atlanta, but some big losses. Yeah, unfortunately, gone is Miguel Almiron and gone is Tata Martino to be replaced by Petey Martinez and Frank DeBoer, respectively. <laughs> DeBoer coming back to kind of rebuild his reputation a little bit. Petey Martinez coming after winning South American Player of the Year, so, you know, no big deal or anything on that front. Uh, they also had, in my opinion, the best signing of the entire offseason, Florentine Pogba, who I'm sure will bring up the level of memes in this league, which we so desperately need. The social media presence he brings, along with his brother, I'm sure will be fantastic. Did we mention Atlanta United or reinventing soccer? Yes. So, yeah, I mean, we'll see if he uh, is a starter for this team. Uh, DeBoer seems to want to play a 4-2-3-1. Um, so that would involve, you know, LGP and probably uh, Parkhurst as the center backs. We'll see if Pogba kind of can fit in there. I'm sure he will. He was a regular at St. Etienne in France for a few years. Then he went to Turkey, didn't really play a lot. He's 28. He was basically clubless when he came here. So, uh, it's look, he's a finished product. You're probably not going to see the potential that they thought they had in him a few years ago. But it's kind of a low-risk, high-reward situation because this guy has proven that he can play in France. And, what, yeah, yeah kind of. It's a good level. Yeah, I was, I was about to make a Farmer's League joke, but, eh, you know, I'll refrain this time. It's I, I think it makes sense. Now, the other defensive signing that they had, which we... Speaking of, speaking of we memes. We couldn't believe it. Breck Shea is here. He said, and I quote, his exact words were, I want to get back to a team that plays. That's a bold statement coming from a guy that doesn't really play all that well, but hey. Uh, And it looks like he's found a spot at left back recently in the preseason. Yeah, it makes sense with Uh, Greg Garza gone. He's got, like, the size and the ability to be a fullback, but maybe not the mentality. Uh, So we'll see. Could Uh, be a three at the back, plays a a wingback, too. That might suit him a little more. could suit him for sure. He's listen, trying to be we, nice. We gave this guy a re- we gave this guy a really hard time in the past, but that's because he was on a DP contract for a guy who's quite obviously not a DP. Well, he's not a DP now, uh, and so now we're going to give him a second chance because that's what we do here. I think it's fair giving people a tough time if they're a DP and they're bad, uh, or average. Now, if you're and- average and you're a DP, now or at least we can say okay, if you're bad or average. We can we can give him the benefit of the doubt. So we'll give Breck Shea a little bit of leniency here, but it's another meme signing for yes. us. But and more importantly here, again, when you're a DP, you're supposed to be one of the three best players on the team. Correct. He is now he doesn't even have to be the seventh best player on the team for them to succeed. So I you know what? props to them. I think the signing makes a lot of sense. I would have maybe liked to see George Bayo, but uh it's he's young. I think that was a little unfair. But I'm sure he'll get his chances. Breck Shea is also known for not playing all game every game. So yeah, I don't think Breck Shea will be an uh, out-and-out starter. There is one other thing hanging over this team. Darlington Nagby. Now, there are rumors that he's trying to move his way out of Atlanta and to go join Caleb Porter, his old coach, in Columbus. That would be an interesting development. It would be. It would really help the crew. I can tell you that that would be a big, big move for them. <laughs> but I, I just don't I, – I, I don't know, man. I don't like this because he already forced his way out of Portland. 
and now he's and now he's like forcing his way from the champions. Yeah, like what? Sometimes I just wonder what these people want. And don't get me started on the Chelsea thing again. But like, it goes back to that, right? It's like, well, what do you want? He wants Porter. I mean, okay. That, well, we'll I don't know if, if you want to put it like that. Go, we'll see if it finally goes through, but. It looks like he's been playing in a midfield two with Remedy, Pity, Barco, and Vialba ahead of him. Uh, if he does leave, it kind of opens up a position chance for Gressel to move into uh, center mid and Escobar to move to right back. And honestly, I like Gressel in the midfield. So I think that would actually, you know, Atlanta would be able to overcome it. Whereas a lot of teams losing a player of that quality, we would say, oh, what's going to happen? Oh, I don't know. That's a big loss. Yeah, that, the only thing I'll say is that Atlanta would be in a kind of a tough spot, if only because I'm not sure who would really take Nagby's place. And more importantly, it doesn't really give them a lot of time to find a replacement. No, I think it would have to be Gressel. Uh, I'd be surprised if they went out and tried to find someone else who could play that position. Um, so we'll see if he does end up losing, uh, leaving. I Again, this team has plenty of quality. That uh, I, I, Me personally, I'm not too worried about him leaving. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I don't think he's invaluable. I agree with you there. I, I don't think that he's, you know, this in, an irreplaceable player. I just, the timing is what's going to hurt more, and I do think that it might be. You probably want as many pieces from there from last season as possible if you're Frank DeBoer to try to get a stable start. But uh, they'll be fine. It's either way. And I think it does make a lot of sense for the crew to try to go after him as hard as possible. I think the biggest question uh, for this team is going to be uh, actually Frank DeBoer. Is he going to be... Uh, you know, the man he was at Ajax? Uh, or is he going to be the man he was at Crystal Palace and Inter who get, you know, couldn't win a game? You know, the argument is that, you know, he didn't get enough time to put in the systems. Now he gets a full preseason, a team that's probably prepared for it. Crystal Palace is not a team that's going to be playing total football. I'll tell you that. <laughs> that's the wrong yeah, hire if you want that. The they, they're built for Roy Hodgson. So Inter, you know, it's a place where a lot of coaches, it's a black hole for them. So those are kind of arguments for him, but still, I think it's he's got to shed some weight, and he's the big question for me. There's plenty of talent there. Still too much, uh, I think, for any one player leaving to make a big impact, barring, I guess, now at this point, Joseph Martinez. Yeah, Agreed. Uh, the last Champions League matchup we're going to talk about then is Edithiano from Costa Rica taking on Atlanta. That game is Thursday as well, 10 p.m. Eastern. Uh, Herediano are champions of Costa Rican League. First half of the season that they had. Uh, apparently in Costa Rica, there's also a four-team playoff of the top four teams. But if the first-place team doesn't win that playoff, they then play two legs against the winner of the playoff, and the winner is the grand champion. An interesting format that I actually am not sure I wouldn't mind seeing here in the U.S. tried out at some point. Hmm. I don't know. Anyway, they're here because they won the CONCACAF League. If you've ever heard of it, it's like the Europa League, but not really. What a, nobody cares. It's it's not that big of a deal. Now, so this is a very good team. Now, off, not off to a great start this season. Seven matches, two wins, two draws, three losses. One game still to play this weekend. So, yeah, there'll be eight matches in. No big deal. I'm sure that will have no effect on how Atlanta plays them whatsoever. They play in Estadio Eladio Rosabol Cordero, which is a really fancy way of saying it seats 8,700 people. But they're going to Atlanta, correct? Uh, I actually have that messed up on the document. I'm pretty sure the first leg is in Costa Rica. In the Costa only Rica, the well. only game in the U.S. is the uh, Sporting Kansas City one because Sporting Kansas City was a pot two team, which is absurd. But them's the rules. But these things happen. So they got to go into a nice uh, Estadio Eladio. <laughs> I love that. Uh, I I think with the level Atlanta's at, I'm worried about what happened to Toronto. 
before them, even though they did get to the finals. But I think Atlanta should win this competition. I don't know about should. They they should they should it. definitely be competing for it. But should is I don't know. Uh, look, I I hate to I hate to be so pessimistic, but after I watched Toronto just not be able to finish okay, off it's, Chivas, it's, it's I think, who is okay, awful. It is fair to Emmett, say <laughs> Chivas was awful. It's fair to say should is unfair, but I think we can give Atlanta a real chance at winning. They this. they absolutely should have a chance at winning this. Their their depth is not the best, admittedly, for a competition like this. But neither was Toronto's, and they did fine. So there it is. So let's see how these teams are going to pan out at the for next year. What do we think? Yes. Uh, Sporting Kansas City, I have it ranked. Uh, Ranking-wise, I have Sporting Kansas City 1, Atlanta United 2, New York Red Bulls 3, Houston Dynamo 4, and Toronto FC 5. It's pretty simple. The top two were kind of back and forth for me, but Sporting Kansas City having Peter Ramis back, I think, eliminates uh, any of the chaos that might come with losing an Ico Parra. And not having a true striker, whereas Atlanta, you know, they have a lot of good talent on the team, but they've, you know, they have the new system, perhaps some late uh, offseason chaos, which is always difficult to deal with. So that's why I put them at two. I put the Red Bulls at a solid three. It's, it's just the Red Bull way. They're always prepared. I'm not worried about them. I'm not overly impressed by them just yet, but uh, that's kind of a wait and see. Houston at four and above Toronto only because they didn't lose Jovinko in the middle of the offseason or at the tail end of the offseason. So. I think that will help Houston, again, very similar team to what they had last year versus Toronto having to make a couple of changes in some pretty big spots. Right. I think we're agreed on the first three teams, at least. In my mind, though, between uh, Atlanta, and this is my rankings, Atlanta, Sporting Kansas City, and New York Red Bulls, you have the three teams that should be fighting in some sort of order for one, two, three in the, uh, in the Supporters' Shield, as we saw last year. Uh, anything other than that, I think, would be a disappointment for those guys. I have Atlanta first just because they're the best until I see otherwise. I know New York Red Bulls won the Supporters' Shield at the very end, though, uh, but I still think Atlanta's the best team. Uh, Red Bulls, I mean, listen, these guys are all neck and neck for me. I'm just, you know, just ranking them as we need to do. Uh, Red Bulls, I'd like, I think they have a chance to be stars, but we'll see. They were great under Armas. Sporting Kansas City, same thing. I have Toronto fourth just because it's still Vanny. They still made it to the finals without Vasquez with Giovinco. So is it too ridiculous to think losing one player makes them a massively worse team? It's possible. It's possible, and you have to also remember the, the the absolute shocking nature of their last season, which is the last, which is the only thing we really have to go off of now. When which they had Giovinco, right. so uh, I have them higher just because I I think that was a one off. You know, we saw the crew make it to the finals and lose, and then the next year finish second to last above only. The Chicago Fire. Uh, so, that's yeah, a quick pot shot. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, whatever. I'm immune uh, to the so moment. I, Haven't you figured it out by now? The crew came back into stability, so I think we're gonna. I think Toronto is a playoff team. Houston, if they finish seventh, that, that's they'll do well to do that. It's gonna be a very competitive so. West, so I don't necessarily disagree with that, but. Uh, I just uh, Toronto. They didn't do enough. They didn't do anything really. <laughs> they they brought in Simon and they lost Jovinko, right. Vanderveel, and Vasquez. So we're we're agreed on the front three. Yeah. I think are a sep are a league above the next. Two. And you know currently, it's like we said last week. These are different tiers. So you know Houston and Toronto being at the bottom of this one would also almost immediately put them on top of any of the other tiers below them, with some exceptions. I think for I I made the Minnesota comparison last week. I again would say Minnesota is better prepared for this season than Toronto or Houston are. 
I'm still worried about the Minnesota defense, but um, I can see where you're coming yeah, from. It so not enough done in the offseason to convince us all that much of their improvement. The CONCACAF Champions League, like I mentioned earlier, is back next week. If you're wondering, you can watch the matches on the Univision family of networks, everyone's favorite Spanish-speaking television networks. Uh, you know, Univision Deportes Network, Galavision, Unimas, that's all in Spanish. And if you want to watch it in English, you can catch the games for free, I'm assuming, on Yahoo Sports. They have the mobile app and, of course, a desktop site that you can visit. I can't imagine it's any worse than Go90, which, of course, constantly had the problem of not being able to Go90. Oh, yeah, that's right. I like that one. That was, man, good, how long did it take you to think of that? Not one? very that long. Good. I actually thought of it last season while it was happening, but it was too late then. <laughs> so anyway, but that platform's gone. But it's also run by the same people. Yahoo Sports is owned by Verizon, and Verizon owned Go90. So I'm, 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 I'm just hoping this is better. It's Yahoo Sports. I'm assuming it'll be better. They stream the Super Bowl on that. So yeah, better infrastructure. They're uh, they're in better situation. Yeah. to do so. Uh, moving north of the border. To our Canada national team coach. America's hat. America's hat. Canada. John Herdman, national team coach of Canada, stated that Canada will qualify for the 2020 and 2026 World Cup. This is a nation that's qualified only once for the World Cup ever in 1986. Finished their group stage dead last with three losses. Pretty much as bad as possible. Eric, do you take... Herdman's comment seriously <laughs> is he getting ahead of himself not even the U.S. qualified last I year I do think he's getting a little bit ahead of himself but I don't mind him doing that he's the manager of a national team that like you said hasn't qualified for the World Cup very often <laughs> so to say the least I I I appreciate him having a little bit of ambition and if nothing else like let's 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 motivate the players a little bit like why go into it thinking uh, I mean if we get to the hex it's an accomplishment which is what they really which is what their real goal should be getting to the hex for them, is kind of the big deal because they don't even start in the same round as the U.S., I believe. They start in the round before the U.S. do right. and Mexico and Costa Rica. Like They have to go through some weird qualifying just to get to the round that they failed in last time, which is that round, if you remember, where the U.S. were nearly knocked out by Guatemala, which, oh, that, to go back to a simpler time when that was our biggest problem. But I, I think the talent is starting to get there, and I do think a better Canada is better for everyone in the region because uh, I think Canada has the population and the infrastructure to support a consistent national team contender rather than sort of the blips that we get from uh, Honduras, Guatemala, El Salvador, Panama. You know, Panama a little more of a mainstay in Costa Rica in that same category, but we we get you know like Jamaica every few years has a competitive team. I, I think Canada could establish themselves as sort of another team that's constantly got a good team, and that's better for the U.S. to compete against them. It's better for the league of MLS to have more Canadian players to pick out of until you know Canada's domestic league takes off. I, I don't think they're good enough to make the World Cup yet under the current format, but I do think they're good enough to get to the hex this time. And that's what they should be shooting for is the Hex. Then get to the Hex, be competitive in the Hex. That's all they need. Keep in mind that by 2026, I believe, they expand to six teams qualifying. Yeah. Plus Canada's so, hosting, so I imagine they'll, I would think they'll qualify automatically. <laughs> Having a Canada World be, Cup without Canada would be pretty sad. I mean, imagine if they didn't expand it, three teams made it, and they were all the hosts, U.S., Canada, Mexico. I heard that they were trying to say only U.S. automatically qualifies because they host the most games. We'll see. Uh, they have some players of note. Uh, Junior Hoylett, Cardiff City, he's 28, so he'll be 32 by the next World Cup. So we'll see how much of an impact he is. Obviously, Alfonso Davies, 18, will be 22. And then 26, he should be a star for those. Kyle Lahren, 23. Uh, Lucas Cavallini, 26. Scott Arfield, their captain and best player, 30. He'll be 34. Don't think we can expect him to be around. Raheem Edwards, Jonathan Osorio. 
26. Edwards is 23. Mark Anthony K, 24. And uh, Balu Tabla is 18. So the Canadian guys there. Messi, you mean? No, I'm just kidding. They're kind of weak in some areas. Like you would say, okay, I mean, like, yeah, they got uh, Alfonso Davies, Junior Hoylett, Scott Arfield. <laughs> Osorio's been pretty good. But, like, all yeah, right, that, after that, it's a big drop-off. It's it's not and great, unfortunately. They're going to need a lot more youth to be stepping up for that to become any sort of possibility. Yeah, and the only th- Moving on. Uh, I, was, uh, the, the, I have, have one more thing? thing I wanted to add, and it's that you talked about, well, the U.S. didn't even qualify. The U.S. still struggled to get results in Central America. With the, people, They get a point, and people are like, yeah, that's a pretty good result. I mean, Central America's pretty tough. So Canada's got a little ways to go in that regard. To be fair, I think they are better than Trinidad and Tobago, who did qualify for the Hex. So, I I agree with you. Hex should be the first goal. It's not as easy as it looks. The Re- New York Revolution. New York. Rumored to be signing. That's what I said. The New England Revolution are rumored to sign an elite overseas player, according to Brad Friedel. Does that change your stance on their position for next year? It would change it a lot in the sense... Oh, well, okay. As long as this elite play... Like, as long as they don't sign... Santi Cazorla. Elite. That's the first player that came to my mind. I'm sorry, but that is an elite <laughs> player, though. I would consider him maybe on a decline, yeah. but elite. So I, I maybe that was a bit. I, I, I was trying to think of somebody like just like okay, yeah, I guess it would be an elite player for this league, but like not really. Anyway, it depends on the player, but yes, if they signed an elite player who like I consider to be a difference maker, who they do absolutely desperately need a player of that level, I would absolutely bump them up because I think Brad Friedel is a good enough coach to get something out of him right away and more importantly it would give him a dimension that they just don't have right now and I think would put them in that next category from fringe playoff contender to bona fide playoff contender uh, I heard Robert Kraft is uh, trying to get some money together he's selling off his uh, Super Bowl ring so you can afford this <laughs> Did player you see the nut- money must be tight nutmeg given news what article been where uh, it was like uh, he said that it can't no no amount of Super Bowls can fill the void of not having won an MLS Cup. <laughs> That's what I'm thinking. Kraft's situation is he is <laughs> desperate. This guy is putting so much money into the Revolution. He must be broke. But moving on, Chicago Fire and Section Eight come to an agreement uh, to bring back uh, what is formerly known as Sector Latino. Are things fixed in Chicago between the Fire and the fans? Um, a fixed? No. I don't think they'll ever be fixed. Not in that sense, because I, the fans' relationship with the fire has gone deeper than just this. This was like the final straw for that specific section of people who will be allowed to stay, by the way. They, the sector Latino is no longer banned, but the name is, so they'll just have to name themselves Latino Sector or something like that, which would be funny. But I, I really... I really think that the, 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 the relationship between fans and ownership is officially broken. Not just because of this incident, but because... The um, the years and years of misspendings and no real communication between fans and front office. There's no real outreach from the front office to try and explain what they're doing. There's very little transparency for what they do. So I, I don't think that this is the repair that anyone would like to think it is. This is nice and what should have happened a while ago. But in the end, I think it's just kind of another band-aid on what is a very massive wound that isn't going to heal unless someone else takes this team over. Uh, this is one of the few teams that has two supporters sections. I do like that. And the, Despite how many fans they yeah, can get, they have two supporters <laughs> sections on both sides of the field. 
Yeah, uh, that'll be interesting. That'll be interesting now that they'll be on opposite ends of the field. I kind of like that actually. I think that works really well. Can celebrate no matter what goal you score. Moving on. Yeah, moving on. Um, to do you have something for us? Yes, Eric? the Nashville logo, the Nashville SC. Well, first of all, this there's a leak and it's on a hat, so it is. It could be questionable. You don't know, right? It could be like a secondary logo or something, but that's the logo that leaked out. I, I know logos are kind of insignificant in the grand scheme of things, but I'm a little disappointed they're keeping the Nashville SC name. I'm okay with it. I would have... I don't know. I, I like creative names. I would have... The Nashville Dash. Nashville Predators. Ah, uh, that's taken and from a bad sport. <laughs> well, I, I'm okay with it. There's really only other SC in the league is Orlando City SC. Well, the fire, I it is Nashville. SC. I mean, but they're Chicago oh, okay, Fire. I see what you mean. FC, I think. Yeah, okay. But, um... Anyway, this is, it doesn't look like a crest to me. It looks like a logo, and I don't really have an opinion on logos. It's really only the crest that I have any interest in. If it's a crest, it's unique. If it's just a logo, uh, I, I am completely indifferent. That's fine. I, I didn't think it was that big of a, although their colors, that was the other thing. So Austin. The colors uh, look good. I do like the colors, but color, but Austin already chose green, right? Uncommon color. Well, yeah, soccer. but now Portland's going to be green, right? Portland's already green. Seattle's already green. Now, okay, I was cool with Austin doing it. Now Nashville's going to be green. Three teams in the West with green might be overkill. I like green. I love green. Green's my favorite color. No no color better than green, but... <laughs> we'll argue it's a, it's a dark yellow. Maybe even a chartreuse. Okay. Oh, chartreuse. We'll if they come out it. and say that Nashville's official color is chartreuse... Uh, I will come back on this podcast and I will shake your hand through the podcast. Uh, I am looking forward to the day. Last one: rumors of Nani <laughs> headed to Orlando oh, yes. City. Do their chances of being a decent team, <sighs> not just a bad team, a decent team, improve with the addition of the veteran? Wing? Nani's kind of, kind of a head case. <laughs> I don't know if this helps. This this could be. He's getting up there. This in could age. blow up horribly in their faces. This could be Steven Gerrard to the Galaxy bad. So, uh, I completely believe it. I don't. Uh, the, uh, I want to believe. I really want to believe that that could help them. But uh, man, uh, there's a real possibility that that goes south. Literally, the dude has been uh, mercurial at best during his career. Is 32, so you could assume he's still got a good year in him. But uh, I'm with you. I think this happens. I think it implodes in their face. And I think Orlando City is still in deep, deep, deep doo-doo. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's one other thing that we did not have planned, but it's brief. Uh, there's a rumor going around that apparently the Gold Cup could cease to exist after 2021, which is just fantastic news. You call it fantastic? I don't know. I call it I'm terrible. being sarcastic. Pour one out. <laughs> I'm being sarcastic. I don't really like that idea, but apparently a possible hemisphere-wide tournament, Nations League, could replace it. Which, you know, a tournament full of the best teams in the world playing against one another in the summer. Gee, if only we had one of I those. Thought you... mm, would be if only we had two of those. We could. Wait, did you say hemisphere? Can you specify which hemisphere? Is this hemisphere-wide? Oh, could it mean like a tournament of the Americas? A Western hemisphere? Some claim it is the best hemisphere. Ooh. And I would claim it's the best tournament. The Copa America Centenario was very entertaining. I would actually love this, um, yes. Outside of maybe Mexico and U.S., you don't really see too much competition, uh, but uh, would be interesting nonetheless. But what's interesting to me is that we've run out of time. <sighs> no kidding. <laughs> that's all the week we. That's all the week we have this time. <laughs> 
on the American Soccer Show. Don't forget to subscribe and check out past episodes. You can find us wherever podcasts live. iTunes, wink, wink. Leave us a review. Uh, apparently it helps, uh, and people will know that we are interesting. Uh, just don't leave one star. That's all we ask. We just beg you don't leave us a one-star review. Until next time, I'm Emmett McConnell alongside Eric Alcantor, signing off.